Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Life principles. This is my definition of life principles as we go through the series called Reality of Life. Reality of life, we've talked about life paths, life decision, life priorities. We've parked a little bit on life principles. Life principles act as the guide to our actions. I'm simply asking you, what are the guides to your actions? Do you know? They are non-negotiable. Very easy to find your principles. Even if you don't understand philosophically or theologically what I'm saying, you can understand it practically. What? are the non-negotiables in your life. You won't negotiate down or out. You won't give up on. They're non-optional, unconditional laws for you. You won't step over that line. You come close to it, but you'll back off. You'll get some pressure, and in your mind, you might even step over, but when it comes time, you won't do it. You know that the line is there. The line is very important. Our generation has tried to remove the line. Our society, our culture, likes to remove boundary lines. We don't even like the words principle or value or authority. Any word that has a concreteness to it, we react a little bit nowadays to those kind of things. We don't like someone putting a fence around us. It does something to our creativity and our expression and how we want to live our life. But the fact is, there are principles that cannot be violated. The Bible relates those principles in a very, very clear way. Laws by which we govern the affairs of our life. They're foundations to all of our actions. Now, depending on your upbringing and your soil of life, if you come from a home that had a lot of good soil in the area of principles and your roots were put down, Your parent or your parents were people of principle. They were people that understood values were important. They were people that understood discipline was important. They were people that made you do what you said. They were people that upheld a particular standard, even though you would react to it or you would somehow get into tension with that parent or parent because of their own particular standard. You came to realize that there were certain things that should not move. And even when you got them to move, you felt bad afterward because you understood that wasn't right to move that line. Even though I manipulated my mother or my father or those in authority, it wasn't right for me to do that. I understand that life is built with lines. And those lines are solid lines. They're not dotted lines. They're solid lines. Life principles have something to do with values. Values are those things that you prioritize as the most important in your life. A person can know values but have no priority to live any of them out. Not knowledge I'm talking about. It's application. It's lifestyle. What values do you have? Principles are convictions. Convictions, again, are the laws in movable things that influence how you will live your life. Whether you're a junior higher, a high school, young adult, young married, on in life. doesn't matter where you are. At some point, you have to step in and say, these are the principles I will live by. Now, you might not like your parents' principles. Well, then create your own if you want to do that. If you're going to create your own principles, where are they coming from? 
Who told you to live like that? Who has proven the principles someone's passing off to you? Who has talked you into thinking about this philosophy of life as it's the best philosophy? Do you want to end up like the person that's teaching you? Do you want to follow the other person that's telling you not to do this but do this? Look at the principles that are proven out in their life. How are you going to marry into the principles that you're going to live by? At some point, whether you're 15 or 20 or 25, you'll make a decision. And you'll start saying, this is how I will live my life. This will be my moral world. This will be my conviction world. This will be my financial world. This will be my relationship world. These are the lines I will use in my life. I will not cross this line. Maybe your parents, on the other hand, did cross some of those lines. Maybe you didn't have the soil of a parent or a parents that had that kind of conviction that drew great lines all the time. And you were a little blurred yourself. And as you went through life, you were trying to figure out, where's the lines? Where's the boundary? Where's the wall? What should I do in this situation? Maybe you didn't have the help from a parent or a home situation. Now you step into life yourself and you start trying to figure it out. And it's really not the best way to go, but it's where our culture is because so many homes have so many different philosophies and a lot of homes don't have maybe the strongest parental guidance in place. And so the child begins to make up their own set of laws, their own set of principles. Sometimes it works and sometimes it gets them in serious trouble. And then God steps in and tries to pastor them through their consequence and through their brokenness. Jesus comes to forgive and heal and repair comes to bring them into an order, an alignment, an answer for their life. And they start putting two and two together. Values, convictions. Then there's a thing called preferences, which is what you do in a situation that you negotiate down or you compromise. You prefer to do it differently. Why? It might cost you something. Or you're embarrassed to do it the right way. Or you simply don't really give a rip. You just don't want to go there. It's not something you want to do with your life. Even though other people are saying this and other people are saying that and the Bible says this and you maybe understand truth, understand principle, but you prefer to do it your own way. You prefer to be your own man, your own woman. Well, you're allowed to do that. There will come a time when you can't blame someone else for your consequences. You can't blame a coach. You can't blame a teacher. You can't blame a parent. You can't blame a church. You can't blame anybody in authority in your life. You eat the fruit of your own tree. And then you begin to realize that maybe your choices are not the best choices. And as you eat some of those consequences, you start backing off from life. Either you get bitter and begin to hate life and hate people, hate curveballs, and you begin to have a negative, pessimistic attitude about yourself about life, about others, about whoever's out there, because life is so hard on you. And so when someone comes like me and says, look, there's a way to live and God will bless this way and this is how you live, you can be so hardened and so bitter that you just react to that and say, you know what? I don't believe that. Life treats me very difficult. Life does not treat me fair. Life is not something I love at all. Matter of fact, I don't even trust life. I don't trust you. I don't trust church. I know there's something broken inside of me, but it's very difficult for me to grasp what you're saying, that if I live by principle, these things will work out. Nothing ever works out for me. I want you to understand something. I am not lying to you. I am not just preaching to you. I'm not just trying to get a response from you. I am telling you the truth. 
God's word does not lie. And God does not lie. And God's principles do not lie. And once you begin to understand what the truth is in a situation and you practice that truth, I guarantee you the fruit of practicing truth is better than the fruit of consequence. And as you begin to learn what comes out of the truth practicing principle foundation you lay to walk in and life begins to kind of pull together and the loose ends start getting tied up, you put two and two together and say, you know what? I can live this way. It works for me. God doesn't play favorites. It's not a matter of who God loves more or less. God honors principles. God honors truth. Those who live that truth and that principle, God will honor. There are principalized people in the Bible that God lifts up, like the Josephs and the Daniels and the Ruths and the Jesus and the Paul. Right through the whole Bible, there are people that learned principle. Those who didn't learn principle like Absalom and a few others I could refer to, don't have time to start getting into all the stories. These are people that the Bible says, now look, it, I'm going to show you a person who violated principle. And I want you to read their life. And I want you to understand you never, ever in your life want to become a Hophni or a Phinehas or an Absalom. You never want to become those people. Now, if you don't know who they are, they're in the Bible. Hophni and Phinehas were sons of the priests who were half-baked in their God relationship and they were immoral and they did all kinds of wrong things in the house of God, outside the house of God with the people. They ripped off the money. They were immoral. They got away with it their whole life. But there came a day when God says, enough is enough. And both the sons end up dying. And then the father fell off at the gate of the temple and broke his neck. God's consequence to that family was deep, long, and wide. It was a consequence nobody would want to happen in their family. But God says, look, if you break those principles long enough, those principles will break you. And when you start reading through each one of the lives in the Bible, we can start right from the beginning with Cain and what he compromised and what happened to Cain and just move right on through to Esau. What happened? What did Esau give up in his attitude and disrespect toward the principles of life and just keep moving right on through the Bible, you have a list of people that leave behind them horrible stories of how they lived their life in violation of God's word and God's principle. They did not get away with it. Samson, I mean, I could just keep naming one after another. People that violated the principle and the principle came right back on them and judged them accordingly. Not that God is the judge. Principles judge you. Truth judges you. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is loving. God is all of that. He is also the God of law. Not law like give you a ticket for speeding, but law in principle, gravity law, laws that cannot be violated in the kingdom of God. There are certain laws and principles that God says you have to choose them. Now, choosing principles simply means this. Will we act upon life? That's the principalized person. If you're principalized, you begin to initiate and act upon life. Or will we merely be acted upon? If you're not a principalized person, life acts upon you all the time, moving you this way and that way because you have no anchor. Will we take proactive responsibility for determining our actions and destinations? We should. Will we live our life in accordance with biblically proven principles? We should. Or will we suffer the consequence of not doing so? I remember very clearly, and most of you would not even go there or remember this at all, but in my early years, 
one of the great seminars that really changed my life and helped me was a thing called the Bill Gothard Seminar. Nowadays, people would look at that and that whole teaching and, and they would say, well, you know, there's, boy, that was a very strict presentation of certain principles. But for me, at my age, when I went to the Bill Gothard seminars, my life was so out of order in so many internal ways, not understanding all the principles of God. It was in that setting that I first realized I am violating authority. I am violating conscience. I am violating certain relationship principles. I am doing things that are wrong. I never knew how wrong these were. It was the first time that I really began as a young adult, as a young man, to take my life and say, I'm not going to live to myself. I'm not going to chance the risk of breaking the laws for myself. I am not going to ruin these principles on other people. I'm going to change the way I live. And so it was out of that particular encounter along with other Bible college teaching, a lot of things, but it was in that practical teaching that someone came along and said, by the way, Frank, did you know you can order your life after certain principles and your life will be better if you do this? Which principles are you talking about? And as they were laid out to me, I understood and measured my life. Put them up beside the principles and said, you know what? I have some changes to make. Five core principles that I live by, that I teach, preach, and desire every person to understand. Here's the five. The principle of authority, integrity, forgiveness, lasting relationships, and serving God's purpose. Those are the five basics. Now, I could give you 25, and so maybe could you. But these are the five that if any one of these five move from the foundation, you're in trouble. Any one of these five. There might be seven or eight that you could put in that foundation. But these five are immovable. If you miss any one of them, your foundation will tilt or it will move. Absolute, unbelievable necessary to know authority and to do it with integrity. And to always, even though you don't want to and you don't have to, and really the other person should come to you, always, always forgive people. Always. Lasting relationships, there's a core principle of that. I hope I get to these. I'm serving God's purpose. These are the five. Now, I want to just deal with one because of time and just nail it down a little bit right now. The principle that I'm dealing with is just the first one, authority. A.W. Tozer says this, and this is a fantastic quote. If you find any books by A.W. Tozer, grab them and read them. He's one of the best writers that's ever been on planet Earth, and his materials you can follow and you can understand. A.W. Tozer says this, The Lord cannot fully bless a man or a woman until he has first conquered him. We must meet God's authority before we can establish his authority. There's an encounter. And when you encounter Christ... There's an authority encounter. There's a will encounter. There's a surrender encounter. Some people encounter Jesus, but they never encounter the Lord Jesus. Some people love the idea that Jesus is a blesser, that Jesus is a forgiver, and he is, that Jesus is a provider, and he is, that Jesus is a lover of my life, and he is, that Jesus wants to heal me and help me, and he does, and he will. All of those things are true. But when you buy the package called Jesus, there's another word that's stuck into it. And that word is Lord. And that word is Kyrios. That word is master, ruler, supreme, sovereign God. 
when he comes into your life, he doesn't come in to negotiate with your will. He doesn't come in to negotiate with your desires. He comes in to be the Lord of your life. He comes in to put his throne in your heart. He comes in to be the first in everything you do. He comes in to be the shaper of the clay. He is the hands. He is the potter. He's nothing less than that. And so when you come to Jesus, you're not just coming to, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, forgive me. But yes, that happens. But you also have an authority encounter, a thing called surrender thing called submit, a thing called give up, give in, give over, a thing called I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I live my life as a Jesus person, never encountering the Lord doctrine. When I came to the Lord doctrine, my life changed. I always knew about Jesus and the cross and forgiveness. And I lived my life accordingly, but not deeply, not radically, not really Rooted in the message I'm talking about now. But when I met that message, when I encountered that first encounter of, by the way, Frank, will you totally let Jesus take over your life? I don't know about that. What do you mean take over my life? Will you submit to him as sovereign Lord, supreme ruler and master of your life? What will he do? What will he ask of me? Where will he send me? What will he do with my hands and my feet? and my talents, and my desires. You know, I have some desires wrapped up in here, and I have some career goals, and some relationship goals, and some things I like to do with my life. What happens if I submit myself to a sovereign God? Sovereignty means He doesn't ask for your input. He does whatever He wants. He's Lord. He's sovereign. He's master. He's king. He is God. And when you come under that hand, something has to bend. And I'll tell you right now, God doesn't bend. God doesn't give in. God doesn't ask you, please, maybe, can I? He is the potter. We are the clay. That's why Romans 9 says, how silly is it that the clay would say to the potter, why are you doing this? And what are you doing with my life? And I don't like the way you're making me. That's what the apostle Paul wrote. Why? Because he understood it. When Saul was a persecutor of the church and the the most advanced genius mind of that day in the Roman Empire would have been Paul. Secular or Christian, Paul was the supreme mind of that day. When he was persecuting the church, throwing everybody in jail, killing everybody he could or having them killed, one day he's on the road to do the persecution and God appears to him, knocks him down off his horse. He's lying on the ground. And Paul's very first response, being a smart man, He says, who are you? He's blinded by the light and the presence and the voice. Who are you? And the voice comes back and says, I am Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. I am Lord. I am Jesus. And Paul's response, listening to the voice, his very first words on his lips, that he responded to the voice. First words ever spoken by Paul to God. Besides, who is this? And then God answers. And then Paul says, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's his first response. That's why he's such a great man. What do you want me to do? The very first encounter with God for this man was a response, a surrender, a stepping out of the pilot's seat, a stepping out of 
how Paul had rendered his whole life before this was such a uh, a motor and a mission and energy. And, and this man was someone to reckon with. But his first response to encountering God was, what do you want me to do? Now, you would think God would just say to him, you listen to me very carefully, Paul, because from now on, it's going to be me and you. I will tell you exactly what I want you to do when I want you to do it. I'm going to give you dreams and visions and revelations and Holy Spirit encounters. You're going to write 14 of the Pauline epistles of the Bible of the New Testament. You're going to be known other than Jesus, one of the greatest Christian men that has ever lived on planet Earth. None of that is said. All he says to Paul is this. He says, Paul, I'm not going to tell you what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the city to a street called Straight. And there in the city, I have a man who will meet you and he will tell you what to do. Paul encounters God and then immediately he's pushed over to encountering other authorities. And if he had not have done that, his ministry would have been stopped at the beginning, right there, right there. Never would have gone any further. And then he's blind. He's blind for three days. And his blindness was prophetic of what God would do in his life because he couldn't do anything any longer. He wasn't moving fast. He couldn't make his own food, dress himself. He couldn't do anything without someone helping him. It was humiliating. He was blind. He couldn't go anywhere. He says, can can some of you guys take me to the city, to a street called Straight? I have to be there to meet some man. And they had to take him by the hand, it says in the Bible, and guide him over to where he had to go. And there he was blind for three days. Why? Because God had done something in the natural that was supernatural for Paul and was prophetic of his whole life from that point on. He would move into another kingdom, a kingdom where he can't move as fast as he used to. He can't move as freely as he used to. He will not be able to make up all his decisions on his own. He will be led by other people. He will come under the domain of the kingdom of God. He will only see things as God opens things to him. His whole life was going to change from being in that other kingdom to the kingdom, to the kingdom, to the rulership and supreme master, Jesus Christ, who is his Lord now. And he was going to come into that kingdom and begin to live his life. Finally, when Ananias finally got to him, laid hands on him, said, Saul, God's appeared to you for this reason, that you might be a light to the Gentiles. Your destiny is set. I'm going to lay hands on you. When I do, your eyes are going to open. Scales are going to fall from your eyes. And then you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You got it? Yes. And then I want you to go and get water baptized. You got that? Yes. And then I want you to join yourself to the disciples. You got that? Yes. He told him everything to do. The great apostle Paul was brought under something that he was going to have to teach and use. It was called the principle of authority, how the kingdom of God works. It's in this principle. When you violate it, you leave the kingdom behind. Something happens in your life. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority. Everyone say all. Come on, shout. Authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, Romans 13, 1. How does this authority have expression? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. What kind? For there is no authority except from God. Understand that. There is no authority except from God. All authority finds its root and flow in God first. 
Every person in authority, every structure in authority, everything begins with a God word and a God thought. It's God's authority. And he can raise up a king or take down a king. He can, he can change the authority people if he wants, if they violate his authority, but he doesn't change the principle of authority. All authority is from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed, appointed, appointed by God. Now, God is supreme authority. This is what we mean by it. He is not subject to any power like you and I are. He is the power or law that could be conceived as superior to other than himself. God's sovereignty is over all the earth and all creation as he has created all things. As I'm doing this right here, there are people that will go through emotional reactions, not that your reaction is spiritual or even from a spirit of stubbornness or carnality only, but people react to this word because of their experience. Unfortunately, in the Western culture, the word authority has a smack of dominance, control, restraint, abuse. We don't like the word authority. And then we see people who misuse authority in the government, in the church, in the priesthood, in sports, people that misuse authority, and in homes, and with parents. And we understand there's some horrible things that goes on under the guise of authority. How a parent, and it's something that is beyond my imagination, but I have embraced it and understand it, and it happens. We understand that child abuse in any form, whether it's just a physical, violent abuse, verbal abuse, or worse abuse. How could a parent, especially the parent who brought that child into the world, how could a parent abuse a child who is helpless mentally, emotionally, and physically? How can that even enter their heart or mind to go there? It's an evil thing. It's a, it's a culture that is without a covering. It, it's a culture that is without a conviction or a conscience or with any, any kind of spiritual thought about what is going on. It's all about just a physical realm or just the emotional realm. We have put God so far off. We don't even see the consequence that comes into those situations. But if you're a person that have encountered that, and then someone comes along like me thinking that, Everything's squeaky clean in the universe and in the United States of America and other nations. And authority works this way and submission works this way. And this is how you do it. And it always turns out right. I, I want you to know I'm not that naive. Nor would I ever say to you, remain under abusive authority. You don't have to. I'm not telling you in this authority message to su- submit to authority blindly. All the time, no matter what happens. Now, those cases of abuse of authority and in any level, some levels can be rectified. Other levels only get worse. You have the right to appeal to God and to other authorities to get yourself out of that abuse and to protect your physical body and protect your children. There is nothing wrong with you dealing with an abusive husband using the legal authorities to put him in his place. If he will not respond to spiritual counsel, won't respond to your cries for help, and he continues to abuse you, then you have to take to the next level of authority and say, this person will not listen to anyone's authority. I don't know what to do. And they have to submit to some authority. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you that all authority every time will be easy to submit to or will do the right thing. They should, but they don't always. And there's a way for you to handle authority in your life. I talked to a person just in this weekend services. 
Matter of fact, I've had several people come up to me and pour their heart out, all of them, uh, very emotional, very tearful, very heart-rending for me even to listen to their story. But people who were in situations where authority misused them or authority disappointed them or they don't know what to do about authority and how do they respond to any kind of authority. You have to understand the principle of authority and appeal to handle authority and not just cancel yourself out of all authority. To leave one authority doesn't mean you leave authority. You must come under some authority. And that's what's very important. There are four levels of authority. And I'll just throw these out. Four basic authority structures. When you submit to God's authority, God will place you under his delegated authority. That's the principle of the kingdom. You submit to God. God says, okay, I want you to flow with my delegated authority. You never move outside of God's authority. And God doesn't work outside his own authority. He uses authority to work in our life. Here's four of them. Parental, government, church, and marketplace. Because I'm out of time, I just got to throw them out there. There are four levels of authority in your life. Parental, the home, Colossians 3, verse 20, Ephesians 6, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 30. They're on the tape at least. These are scriptures that talk about your parents. And it simply says, honor your parents, obey your parents. It's pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents. This is the first commandment with promise. Children, keep your father's command and love your mother and obey her commands. Do not be like a generation that is pure in their own eyes and rebels against their own parents and against their own home. Do not despise your father. Do not despise your mother. Children that learn obedience in the home with parental respect are children who will walk out into life with an authority principle that will get them much further down the road in the workplace and in life itself when they understand the principle of authority. Government, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Church, those who watch for you, watch over your soul, pastors and leaders, the Bible says submit to them, honor them, speak well of them. They'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. And then it also says, submit to your boss. And it's amazing the Bible in, in Colossians 3 and also 1 Timothy 6, it brings up one whole point, one whole point just on this. If you work for a Christian man or woman, do not take advantage of them. That's what it says. You read it yourself. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1 and 2. If you work for a Christian master, a boss... Do not take advantage of them. How's that? Well, when you're working for a Christian, you can do things like this. Come late to work three days in a row or three weeks in a row or once a week for five weeks or take long lunch breaks or whatever it might be. Just in a, And this might be your response. I was at Starbucks and the Holy Spirit quickened me to talk to someone. I scooted my chair up to their table. I bought them a cup of coffee. They started opening up to the gospel. I lost track of all time. And as I began to talk with them, an hour went by in two hours. And, and boss, I am really sorry that I'm late today. I know it's 10 o'clock. But you didn't know that you were actually staffing an evangelist at your business. You didn't know that I have spirit-led living in me. And I'm sure that you being a Christian would understand that I need to do this. And boss says, listen, if you do it again on my time, this has to be done. I can't wait for you. And I don't know all about the spirit-led stuff, but I'll tell you right now, in principle, this is your job. You should be here. You should honor the hours that I asked you. 
And if you don't do it, I'm going to have to let you go. Then you go back over, get into the workplace with your friend, and start bad-mouthing the Christian boss. Yeah, I thought he was a Christian. Boy, he doesn't act like a Christian. He doesn't understand evangelism. That person could be going to hell. He wouldn't even care. Here I was witnessing to someone, and my boss is getting on my case. What kind of a boss is that? He is a good boss. That's why he has a business. God has blessed him and not blessed you. You're working for someone because you're a violator of principle. Excellent preaching, Frank. This is so good. (laughs) Don't abuse Christian bosses. Work harder for them. Don't take off every chance you get. Don't use the Holy Spirit as your excuse or youth camp as your excuse or college as your excuse or Bible study. Or I was in a trance lying before the Lord. Those are not good things to do. Submission. Just take down this definition of submission, would you? The act of yielding. Well, isn't that just really the crux of the matter right there? Yielding to the power of another. I don't want to yield to the power of another. Something in us rises up. I don't want to submit to you. I don't want to do this. That thing in you that digs in and always creates a war. Always create your own way. Always confronts anyone that tries to put you under is the very thing that will put you in situations in life that you don't want to get into. You will violate the very principle that will protect you. And if you don't submit to one authority, God will give you another authority to submit to. That's why it always cracks me up. It cracks me up laugh, not, you know, mental. When, when a young person said to me, I'm sick and tired of my parents and my home and all the restraints they have. Okay, what what are you going to do? I'm going to join the army. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's uh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Why don't you go do that? Matter of fact, I confirm that in Jesus' name. You go join the army and have freedom. (laughs) If, If you don't submit to one authority, God will put you under another one. And that one might be a little harder since you're not their little Johnny and their little Sally. They might be like the drill sergeant who scared the liver out of you and you're calling home saying, get me out of the army, I want to come home. And dad is saying, Jesus tells me, stay put, son. This is a great thing for you. You hang up the phone and go, yes. Someone is learning how to bend. How to bend. All right. Take down four things, four one-liners. I won't preach them at all, just four one-liners. When you live with authority, these are the benefits. These are the benefits. One, you get protection, umbrella of God over your life. When you align, there's a Psalms 91 experience. You read it. Number two, you live with blessing and those who understand authority, it says, have an edge to live longer, long life. Study it yourself. Third, you'll live without fear of those who have authority. If you violate authority or you yourself or an unprincipled person, you have fear of authority and, and kind of gets squirmy around authority because there's something broken inside of you about authority. 
But when your authority piece is fixed, you're happy to be around authority. Happy to fellowship with authority. Number four, you live with a spiritual advantage. Your advantage is what? Blessing of God. The blessing of God. The care of God. The wisdom of God. The alignment of God. The flow of God. When you live with authority, you're a smart puppy. If you go and get counsel from people, you're smart. Instead of always having to back the car up before you make the decision, you get good counsel. You go to your youth pastor, young adults pastor, and district pastor, and church pastor, leader, elder, friend, somebody who has proven principles in their life, and you bounce it off of three or four people, I guarantee you, your life will be lived better if you will listen to other people's counsel and say, you know what? That's good. That's good. I haven't thought of that. Jeez, I didn't think of that one at all. Well, that's scary. I could have done this and totally messed up on that. I never even saw that point. The more you have advantage in life, the better you'll be. When you have authority in your life and someone starts fudging on you, doing something that manipulates your emotion, if you're a young woman, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 20, whatever age you are, and some guy just has your emotion and your dad steps in and says, I'm going to stop that. And you know in your heart of heart you want it stopped but you don't know how to stop it. You, you can't put the brakes on the car. Your, your emotions are so far gone, you're happy that someone would step in and say, I know this might hurt for a while, but I'm going to stop this. Tears are shed, emotion is brought, but the decision is for your protection, for your health, for your well-being. Later on, you'll look back and say, wow, That was close. Thank you, authority, for stepping into my life and letting me see something more clearly. Aren't you glad that someone talked you out of not quitting that job or not starting that business or not leaving that business or taking that loan or buying that car with a high interest or, 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 or? Aren't you glad that someone stepped in and said, hey, let's do some advantage here. Don't do it that way. Authority? is a blessing, is a protection, is wise, will help you, will mold you, shape and align you. 